and welcome to episode 13 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming and hobby podcast, recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I'm Tim. Joining me, as always, via the wonders and mysteries of Skype, are Carlo and Lavelle. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, how's it going, guys? How are you doing? And I'm glad we nailed it down this time, Lavelle. We did in the right order. <laughs> I say hi second. Maybe, nice maybe, smooth, maybe next season we'll, we'll mix intro. that up. Next season we'll throw some more variables into the mix, you know? See if we roll can a really. D6 <laughs> we'll roll on a, a three D6. Up. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to talk about this episode of Crew Shaken. I just got back from Adepticon. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some, some new releases, some galaxy shaking news from Warhammer community, from the Warhammer community site, some reveals that are coming up. But as always, let's fire it up with hobby progress. Carlo, what's the latest and greatest? I actually uh, did some hobby stuff this week. I, I built my Orlocks last minute before my first game in Necromunda. They are uh, pretty sweet. I've, I've heard people kind of uh, explain them as like gangster-looking guys, right? They've got some of them have headbands. They've got like leather jackets. They kind of look like dudes that would be hanging out at a CD bar. And, like, uh, maybe, like, you ever see Starsky and Hutch, like those guys, you know? <laughs> CD Bar and the Starsky and Hutch universe kind of a thing. There's but, probably, um, probably a lot of chest hair underneath all those clothes, that kind of vibe. Yeah, like, this one dude's got, like, he's got, like, a really big... These guys, like, don't look like they're in great shape. Hmm. You know what I mean? For yep. for people that are fighting for their lives, they kind of could stand to burn some calories, but, you know, that's why I can identify with them. So I've... <laughs> <laughs> Carlo, are there any mustaches in this gang? Um, there are plenty of must. I think, yeah, plenty of mustaches. Got some uh, full-on beards. See that? Was expecting to see some cigars, but I guess I'll just have to, you know, kind of convert for those. Before you go on, I'll interrupt with a great line. It's from uh, a website that I follow called All Hail the, All Hail the Black Market. And he makes a sticker that says, guns don't kill people, people with mustaches kill people. <laughs> I like that. So I might get you that bumper sticker for this this war band, Carlo. Plus it tickles when you kiss them. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, the dilemma in building them was like, okay, so do I build a bunch of guys? Because with Necromunda, you have to have, there's four types of, uh, I guess, what you'd call them option like options troop options or whatever you want to call them right so uh you have the leader the champions the uh gangers and the juves right so the the leaders like your head honcho you can only have one uh the champions there are some special rules depending on the gang of how how many you can have with my gang i could start out with two right and they're pretty good like their stat lines a little bit better they have a better um uh, ballistic skill and such, right? The next is the the ganger, and he's got um, he's like your your bread and butter guy. He's going to be the m- most common model in your in your gang, right? And then the juve, which are the new guys, they represent the flush the fresh blood that uh, has the ability to kind of uh, develop and blossom, or whatever. Maybe not too cheery of a word for necromunda. It's supposed to be grim dark. Underhive, but you get the idea. Um, and with the rules of Necromunda, you have to have uh, f- the amount of gangers has to match the amount of other models you have. So if you have a leader, two champions, and a juve, you have to have four gangers. 
So I was like, do I build these guys to be, do I want quantity or quality? Do I want some cool weapons in there? Do I want like a bunch of guys? And, you know, um, I think the smarter way to play when you start out, and I've uh, received this advice from a few different people, would be build like numerous, you know, because guys get better in Necromunda. So you want to have a bunch of guys just in case you start losing guys. But I like to go with the cooler stuff. So I just built really points heavy dudes. Uh, so I have like two guys rocking. Uh, one guy's got a heavy stubber. One guy's got the poon launcher, the harpoon launcher. You know, I got a dual wielder auto pistol guy. I got some auto guns and shotguns and stuff like that. And a power fist on my leader with a, or a servo claw, you know, but basically a power fist with a sawed off. So there are some cool options. Uh, the poses are really sweet. Um, I did find that the uh, poses were kind of not so customizable. Like you can do a few different things with them, but if you really want to make them unique, you're going to have to cut some hands off and put them on different arms and stuff like that because they really are molded to fit one or two different poses, and that's about it. So, um, And the torsos are... An, uh, interchangeable like the backs have to go to the certain front that's supplied with it and the legs as well so like some of the stances are um, very specific to which uh, pieces they're lined up with so. what is the you've played both Shadow War Armageddon now and Necromunda does one appeal to you more than the other for me they kind of fill the same they kind of scratch the same itch right I think the release of both still has me kind of scratching my head, right? Which do you prefer and why? Are they that different? What's the deal? I think at this point, I've only played one game of Necromunda, mm-hmm. and it'd be a little premature for me to compare them on that scale, but... And also because our Shadow War campaign, I lost miserably. It was pretty sad. So, uh, I think I came out with, like, two wins and 11 losses, and I, like, one of my guys, like, died every time. You remember? Mm-hmm. It was like... I had, like, two guys left at the end, and they were just, like, bleeding to death. They were just bleeding out. So I think it was because I proxied. That was a problem. I proxied Dark Eldar as Craftworld Eldar. They just, like, couldn't couldn't contain themselves in that Eldar yeah, shell. Couldn't do it. Yeah. And they didn't feel <laughs> right about it. So it, it went poorly, and, you know, I see why. But mm-hmm. with the Necromunda rules, I had a really fun first game. It's interesting because... The way that we had set up, you you kind of rolled randomly. I'm trying to remember it was a, a week ago or so, so I can't remember every single detail. But when we set up, I rolled to see how many guys I got. So it was like a random amount. And they have a different kind of balancing thing now where if whoever has more points, uh, if you have less points, you get to choose the mission and stuff like that. So I played a mission where um, I set up in the middle as an ambush. And then uh, my opponent set up on the fringes and kind of had to come at me. And I thought I would be, it would be very overwhelming and then it would be kind of like an unfair advantage for him. But it actually worked out to be a pretty balanced game. So it was really fun. And like any, like anything can really happen where like we ended up shooting our own models a couple of times because they have a, a, a rule now where if you're, any miss of a shot, and it's not... I think in uh, Shadow War, it was, like, just on a, a one you had an errant shot. But, like, any miss now uh, between the model that's firing and the model they're shooting at, any models in between can get hit. Oh, I see. So, it was really kind of interesting. You really had to line yourself up advantageously and 
pick the right weapon for the right um, situation. And it was really kind of it was very fun. I I look forward to the next game. But uh, like I see what you're saying though. They both kind of feel like the same game. And like, why would you only a year apart come out with basically what is the same game? Lavelle, where, where do you how do you feel about this this comparison between Shadow War Armageddon and Necromunda? Well, I got to be honest. I do not not I do not like 40k at the squad level base, um, with the smaller game base. So I don't play either. And you know, I might be in a minority there. It's just that um, you know, when it comes to small units, small group action, I have other games that kind of scratch that itch. So I haven't really played it, even though people have been trying to get me to play it. They say it's the same models. Um, yeah, so I haven't really tried it. Carlo, can you sell me on it? You only have to build 10 guys. <laughs> All right, thank you, sir. Go to the back. <laughs> <laughs> Fail. Well, you know, I think, it's, I think the nice thing about it is you don't have to spend hours and hours and hours on a long weekend Building like if you wanted to play in like a tor- a necromunda tournament this weekend, you know you could get ten guys ready pretty quick. You know, whereas like if you wanted to play in a forty k tournament and you were doing it with a new army, it would take some time. And I think we've all been there where we're like on the last weekend before we're supposed to go away to some con or some tournament, and we're like, okay, we changed our list up in our head and thought of this great list, but then we realized, oh wait. I have to build and paint all that. Let me ask this question. Is it truly a 40K entry-level game, or is it a game all of itself? The rules are very similar to 8th Edition. So, like, when Shadow War had come out, 8th Edition rules weren't out yet. And a lot of people had kind of figured, and I think this is the way we've come come to see it as, that Shadow War was GW dipping everyone's feet into the 8th Edition pool. Uh, Necromunda follows that and a lot of the rules are are very similar to 8th edition with the way that you roll for you know the AP modifiers are uh, similar now where like before AP2 just killed everything with two armor and up now it's AP minus right it's pretty easy for sorry I got Monica over here uh, miming stuff to me okay so <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting you mentioned that uh, Shadow War being kind of a prelude to 8th edition because in some respects Shadow War is actually a return to much earlier editions of the rules, too, when they were a little bit simpler as well. So it's interesting to call it both a look forward when it's definitely a look back to, I think, second edition. I, I remember reading that codex, but I don't remember exactly... I don't remember if that was, like, rule for rule or they, they're the same, but it's actually very similar to some of those older editions, too. Yeah, I remember hearing about that, and a lot of... When 8th edition came out, a lot of the... And I, I'm a fairly new player. Like, I, I started playing... Most of my playtime is from 7th, and I kind of started in 6th, but a lot of the old heads would, you know, reference that the rules were returning to a base that was they were more fond of. Right. So you built these guys. Did you get any paint on them, or you just kind of put them together to play? No, I put them together to play. I wanted to see um, how they would function before really committing, because I used plastic glue to put their torsos together, and then I used super glue on their arms so I could like kind of snap it off later. That's smart. Um, I had ordered some magnets, but by the time they came in, I kind of gave up on it, and I was like, "Ah, hey, you know what? They're just gonna their arms are gonna. I'll, I'll break them off. It, it won't be pretty, you know. But the underhive is a cruel place, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> the underhive is a cruel place. Lavelle, how about you? You know, I, I, I posted something. This has been a long, this has been a great week, just this past week, not even since the show, the last time we recorded. 
I played D&D last Sunday. I learned two new board games on uh, the next Wednesday. I took my daughter to a board game meetup that wasn't too far from my house on Saturday. And then I was in an infinity tournament on Sunday, which I took third place. Congratulations. Yeah. So I, I've been I've been getting a lot of gaming. And I, um, we had a break in our, our private campaign, and I've been really studying the new uh, Necron Codex which all, with all the leaks and everything and getting my army ready. And um, so I, I've really been building this army for this tournament here. And I got to tell you guys, I've been thinking really, really hard about what I'm doing at the Nova, the upcoming Nova. Hmm. And um, the jury's still out. I'm, I'm, you better I'm, think quick because there are a lot of slots filled up right now. Well, we, we got our slot, but I, mean, I just got to figure out what we're going to do, what I'm going to do in terms of my army. And I got to tell you, I, you know, I was really, really gung-ho on the custodies. But you know what? If you haven't seen the new Necron Codex, I'm I'm reading it and thinking, how is this fair? Mm. You got to play Necrodes. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, hey, you know, how is this fair? All, a lot of a lot of stratagems that are one point, they have a stratagem. If you kill a character, you spend one command point, and that character comes back. You spend one command point, roll a d6 on a four plus. That commander comes back. Uh, as close to, but not necessarily at the same spot, and unengaged from where the character died. You're, so it's a, it's a Celestine uh, stratagem, basically. That, Celestine gets it for free on a 2+, plus, but it's a, you, the thing about it is she's one model. If you have three characters, you can bring each character back once. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. And, you know, they have a dynasty... That has uh, within half their, um, if you're within half range of the weapon, plus one to AP. You know, right. So, you know, I'm, 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 I don't know what I'm doing yet. I'm still thinking about it. Interesting. That's pretty nasty. Yeah. Right. That on top of all the other things, they, they tweak the points a little bit and I've been really studying it deeply. They tweaked the points a little bit and they made some adjustment to take, they took the arm, they gave the army not the army. It gave the entire, um, the entire group more flavor. So your Necron army will no longer necessarily look like my Necron army. And then you can take the coat. You can take the um, the dynasties, which make them different. And then there are a couple of other things that stack on that make them really different too. So is so, there like a a best dynasty right now? You know, it, let me tell you this. There's a dynasty if you want to do close combat. There's a dynasty if you want to shoot. There's a dynasty if you really want to hunt characters. There's a dynasty if you want to increase your staying power. They did that, and they made the um, the Catan more lethal. And they gave him more more options for it. It's pretty good, and I'm, I'm really interested. This is I don't I've never said this before, but I'm really interested in reading the fluff that's in the Codex to see what that comes out to. It's it's pretty good. Why is that? Are you not a fan of uh, the writing in the codexes? Well, some fluff I like better than other fluff. Um, some of the books that came out, I really felt was just like a regurgitation of the old fluff. Other bits of fluff kind of really advanced the story. Yes, I agree a thousand huh. percent with that. I think it's great that in the new, apparently in the new Tau Codex, in the new Necron Codex, and in the new Harlequins Codex, the, the storyline is progressing. Yeah, let me tell you something. If you have not looked, I have the new Tau Codex as well. If you have not looked at the Tau Codex, I'm going to recommend that you at least look at it before you find yourself across the table from a Tau player. Because it will surprise you. 
they got a lot of surprises in there. There's a lot of differentiation now between the the casts, is it, or the sept? right. septs? Septs, yeah. septs. Mm-hmm. And they do a good job explaining, um, which I never really paid attention to. They have all these expansions, like the first expansion, the first, and they keep going. And there's this expansion that kind of went out and went into the warp, and they haven't really heard from them again. <laughs> so they can bring those guys back. It's pretty. It's pretty good. It's. I like a lot of things. Also made the decision to to uh, and I'm I'm being honest here first. I'm going back on my <laughs> on my original thing. I've made arrangements to buy half of the Necro- the Necrons that was in somebody's Forge Bane box. So I'm getting <laughs> Forge Bane. Yeah, I know. I, the, the, listen again. I'm asking for a judgment free zone. Are you still getting the Armager Knights? I am st- well, I'm getting my own Forge Bane box. I'm keeping the Armager Knights, and I'm going to take the two halves. Because the two halves make a pretty decent force. And I started thinking, hey, you know what? I don't really have these. Yeah, so I'm back in it. The Wraith, though. The so, Wraith. so you went from getting two models of a box to getting two, two boxes. boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling... Um, this is Judgment Free Zone. I'm feeling attacked. You're not yes, playing I'm Imperial attacked. Soup anymore. You're playing Imperial Gumbo. <laughs> You know what it was? Once I started reading the codex, I said, you know, I need more of these. Hmm. The rates really did come up. They can fall back. They can fall back out of assault and then shoot and then assault again. They still have their invulnerable save. Their weapons are more lethal now. They're what they should have been. And what the codex kind of, I mean, what the index took from them. So it's pretty good. It's, It's pretty good. I'm excited. So if I could talk about a couple other things, I've been really kind of Spending a lot of time with different uh, board games. I've been expanding my, um, my my kind of venue of games right there. And I've been looking at a couple of other uh, miniature games. One of the things that I left out in that mix, last Friday I actually got down with a World War II game that I've already had models for, but I never really got a chance to play, Bolt Action. And it, it, was, it was a fun game. It was, it was really, um, it was a different kind of back and forth than um, I've experienced in, in, in 40K. But it was I had a good time. I had a good time. It was my, I think it might have been my second game with that. But it was really, really good. And so one of the things we're going to talk about later is all the games that are out there. And one of the things that I want to, when we have that discussion, is talk about how different games scratch different itches. Can I ask you what new board games you tried out this past week? And I ask this. And this, this might be too long of a diversion that we edit out, but I'm looking for a new board game to give to a buddy of mine whose birthday is coming up next week. Um, and he's really into, like, mysteries and detective stories. Okay, I play the game called New Angeles. And New Angeles is based on, it's a fantasy flight game based in the Android universe. The same thing that the Netrunner card game is. And it, this game is a semi-cooperative game. So... Everybody can win, but there's always at least one loser. And you kind of scratch your head and think, how is this possible? What's going on? But there can also be one winner under a specific set of circumstances. I played it actually twice. And the first time I played it, there were, um, there were two women at the table. 
So I knew it was going to be a good game, and it was a good game. The second time I played, it was all men, and I knew all those guys. I said, this is going to be a terrible game. And it was because nobody really wants to cooperate. Nobody trusts anybody. You can't get any consensus. People are throwing monkey wrenches across the table, and it was really, really, it was a really, really fun game both times. Hmm. The other one was... Um, and I, I had a conversation with one of our Joe, one of our other uh, gamers about this. Is the thing Infection at Outpost Thirty One, and Infection at Outpost Thirty One is in a series of games where there could be a traitor, or there probably is a traitor among you. And so, Battlestar Galactica, the board game, is the most sophisticated and complex. There's another one called Dark Moon that's in the middle, and then I'll post uh, the thing. I'll post at 31. I love the thing movie, yeah. and I love the subject matter. But the game was a little bit. I, I wanted to try it out, and I got a chance to try it. And I actually played it with my daughter, and um, we were with, with a girl, a bunch of other people, and she's new into the board game world, and. She actually turned out being one of the infected people. I myself was one of the infected people, but she did a great job at throwing, um, throwing, um, you know, dispersions on me to get herself out of trouble. And I really never even suspected all through the game. And it was like that because the mechanics on the thing is nice and simple, and I like that. I saw uh, like ads for the thing recently on Facebook. It looked pretty cool. Right. I'm back, y'all. You know, one of the earlier co-op games with a trader or potential trader, and it was this one called Shadows Over Camelot. And I, I learned that at an Origins convention years ago, and it made me buy it. And it was really, really good. There's a lot of games out there, board games, where you can set it up and have a good, not just a quick, but a couple of hours of engaging fun with people, really think. And there are a lot of games out there that I, I would recommend. Tim, have you played uh, Eldritch Horror? I have not. Uh, great game. Really? Oh, yeah. That, like, uh, Fur showed us that a couple weeks ago, and that was, like, one of the most fun board games I think I've ever played. Really? It's, like, Miss Cthulhu action mystery 1920s. Like, you have a, a character that uh, I think you randomly pick. I'm trying to remember, but it's, like, you're either, like, a professor or a, or a cop, or and you're trying to investigate these portals that are opening up all over the board and you got to shut them down and kill the monsters inside and stuff like that. And there, there are a bunch of, um, it's a very complicated game in a way because there are a lot of item cards and stuff like that you can get. So you, you can buy items like every other round and you got to kind of pick and choose what's the most beneficial and stuff like that. Android, the original game is a crime and investigation one, but it's not, it's not a lot of thinking clues and then trying to solve it's not really the same thing as kind of dracula where you're thinking and trying to hunt him down and, and look for and people are doing math in dracula okay we know he was here he moved two times and he can only write and all of that okay so that's our hobby progress tim why don't you talk about what you've been doing <laughs> man so I, did, I got back from Adepticon last night. Adepticon 2018, Schaumburg, Illinois, at the Renaissance Convention Center. It took us forever to get there because we had a big snowstorm here in Philadelphia on the east coast of the United States last thir- last Wednesday and Thursday. Oh, yeah. it, it was terrible. So we were supposed to fly out um, Thursday morning, first thing, and get there at like 10. And my the first uh, miniature painting class I was supposed to take was at 12.30 that Thursday, right? So we find out the night before that all the flights leaving Philadelphia are canceled for that oh. day, for that whole day. 
right. So, oh, so, no. so you know, the, we get the email from United, and it's like, all right, flights are canceled. You can move it. You can change your departure or destination airport to whatever you want you know, for your charge. Really great. So let's look at flying out of New York. You can't do that. Everything is booked, and um, the Amtrak trains to get up there are not running either because of the snowstorm. All right, let's look at Baltimore. Okay, there is a flight out of Baltimore that will get us there by, I think it was like 6 p.m. on Thursday. So I would miss my classes for Thursday, but at least we would get there on Thursday. But again, the Amtrak trains were not running because of the storm. So we had to, we had to get a car service to take us from Philadelphia to Baltimore to get on a plane to get to Detroit, or to get to Chicago, rather. It was crazy. It was like planes, trains, and automobiles that day. It took us a long time to get there. It was really... <laughs> By the time we got there, we were pretty fried. I was, a, I was able to sneak into a class. We didn't check into the hotel we were staying at. We went right to the, uh, the convention center where Adepticon was being held. We got our badges, and I basically just walked around to classrooms that, that classes were about to start in, and I said, hey, do you have any slots? You know, Is there any empty seats? If nobody shows up, let me in. You know, I'll pay cash. I'm not registered. Let's just, I just want to do something tonight because I got here. You, know, you go through all this effort. You don't just want to like sit, sit at the hotel bar, have a beer, and then go to sleep. You know what I mean? I wanted to do something. So I met this, I met this lovely couple outside of a class that uh, he was about to start teaching. His name was Mohammed. His company is Mohand Art, M-O-H-A-N-D Art. And they own a company that makes this, this miniatures game called Eden. They're a French company, and they have this game called Eden, and they have Gearbots, which is another board game kind of a thing that they're about to launch on Kickstarter. I'll put some links to all this in the, in the show notes. But he did a nice, nice class on non-metallic metal. Super cool guy, a very good painter. He had a crystal brush entry that was really nice looking, and it was cool. So that that kind of saved the day. I was able to take a class from the eight to eleven or twelve or whatever it was, and it, it was really nice. Got to got to meet some of the people who were there to take classes, and kind of say, all right, we made it. We're doing what we came here to do, and all is going to be well. Was that the like panther-like mini that you posted a picture of? Yes, exactly. That's I one know, of the, like, that's one of the miniatures he built for one of his games. Yeah, I I thought that was just like a metal mini. I was like, what's he posted a picture of a metal mini for? Yeah, it was that <laughs> was it was this it was, was a, it was a metal mini realistic. prime black, and then he had this non-metallic airbrush and brush technique mixture thing going on. It was cool. It was a nice class. Everybody was into it. It was a nice group of people. It was cool. Okay, non-metallic metal. Now you got me interested because I've been using like lead belter and stuff like that, and just kind of doing the the traditional gw approach was that the uh i'm looking at these minis now that was the valor i think so wait yeah. can, wait are we still talking about eden Who, who's the manufacturer i'm trying to think if i'm looking at the right thing happy games factory yeah that's it that's it did you play it no they're doing a kickstarter for their new game which is about to come out and they're doing another kickstarter i think from what i understand to build a like a starter box for eden because right now you can buy like two starter boxes, but there's no like starter box of two armies in it, that kind of thing, I think. And you can use the games from, you can use the models from Eden for their other new game called Gearbots, which is about to come out, which is kind of neat. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it was Vegan. a neat, another neat Dual company. Purpose. Yeah, I had no idea this company existed. They were like super sweet couple. It was really nice. They're super friendly uh, from Paris. It was cool. Really nice way to start the whole situation. Do they have like an active player base in the states or is this a, a primarily a french you know what i asked i asked him the same thing he said they have regular tournaments all over france they're spreading out throughout europe but there were people in the hobby area painting eden miniatures who were planning on or had already taken part in a tournament that they were running i think two nights in a row at adepticon and that was that was full of people 
So people know about it. I hadn't heard about it before, but there is a community here in the States that came from, you know, somehow they're getting the word out, which is wonderful for a small game like that. And it, was, it wasn't like a like a folding table with a bunch of stuff on it. You know, they had a booth booth. You know, they were ready to roll. They had their act together. It was really it was really pretty cool. Okay, cool. I mean, the minis look, I'm looking at pictures right now. They look amazing. They're, they're really they're really neat. Like one of the warband leaders is like this little girl with a chainsaw. It's, it's kind of crazy looking and, and neat. Just a different different vibe kind of to the sculpts and how they're painted, at least on the box art. They're cool looking. Yeah, it's almost like a, like not anime, but kind of halfway. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. His, so. his, his painting style is very, very along those lines, like cartoon, like not totally real, like distorted reality kind of stuff. It's that that's a good observation. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, that was Thursday. Then Friday, I had uh, some c- just classes, understanding faces with Ben Kometz, one of the best, one of the best painters I think around. He painted that wonderful um, Lord of Change last year, the uh, psychedelic turkey, I think he called it. It was really really cool looking. I took a class with uh, Anthony Wang, who is a really good painter. He painted up this beautiful. Um, he entered it into the Crystal Brush competition, which is the painting uh, competition that's put on by Cool Mini or Not at Adepticon every year. It's called Crystal Brush. He entered this uh, the Shadespire. What do you call it? The uh, the Skeleton Warband. What do you call that warband? Um, anyhow, no bones about it. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but he had painted it in such a way where the whole army was glowing like blue green because the game, you know, the setting of Shadespire is kind of underground, underneath this crystal city. So he was thinking about all these lights from the crystals kind of shining all over this... It's Death Rattle, I think, is the name of the warband. Um, but they're all skeletons, and in his army, they were all glowing blue. They were blow, glowing like blue and green. They were, it was really cool looking. But he was he taught a, cl- a class called Painting Faster and Better. And his technique was actually really pretty involved. It wasn't actually painting faster, but it was painting... It was how to paint well. It wasn't necessarily how to paint faster, in my opinion, but it was it was a cool class. Uh, you know, you can always learn something from somebody, right? If I take a class and remember, like, two sentences of what somebody said about something that I hadn't considered before, you know, then it was a win. If I learn, if I can pick up a couple of vocabulary words or some, just some general kind of visual to- uh, thinking topics, stuff that I haven't thought about before, I'm, I'm all for it. I, c- I can try to pick up something from anybody. So that was that was a good class. Next class I took was painting a complete bust quickly, which was taught by Alfonso Geraldes, uh, Banshee, his nickname is. He's an amazing miniature painter. He's been at it for a super long time. He used to do sculpts for uh, Forge World and paint for Forge World, and he's been, you know, he's worked in a lot of different jobs across the miniatures industry. Um, he's really known for this campaign that's not about, he's trying to uh, change the, trying to change the direction of, like, miniature painting into one that is less concerned with being super smooth and super slick and more about being just super cool looking like not being totally concerned about really like smooth and perfect blends in like skin tones or on armor reflections that kind of stuff and doing it more quickly and enjoying the process more as opposed to getting stressed out by you know moving the brush across a piece of resin he was super fun his energy was he had a lot of energy for the topic, and he put on a really great class. It was very interactive, and it was super cool. He doesn't does he do that Infinity Book, or is that somebody else? No, that's uh, on, a... that's Angel Heraldes, yeah, another Spaniard. Ah, yes. Right. And then I took a uh, speed painting like a pro class with Matt Sexwish, who's a German painter and model builder. He builds like really complicated diorama kind of settings and stuff. And he entered this really great model from uh, Kingdom Death into the Crystal Breath brush competition his class was speed painting like a pro and he talked about uh, like wet blending colors 
like putting big globs of wet paint in two areas on the miniature and then blending them together with the brush just to kind of get a really cool, varied, high-contrast base tone down. And then he talked about what to focus on to make it really look good on the tabletop, like the face and the back, like the top of the back of the miniature, because that's what you're going to see when you're looking at it from above and playing with it. You know, he said he was all about, like, you don't really need to spend a lot of time on the lower half of the body because you're never going to see it while you're playing. You know, you want to direct the eye towards what you're going to see most often, which is the head, you know, top of the head, face, and like the back, like the backpack, if you will, in a Space Marine. Really cool. Um, I had taken classes with Matt before. He's a great dude. And the other thing that I did, which was awesome, was I played uh, in the Ethereum, kind of a tournament, but I played Ethereum for two hours. Ethereum is made by Anvil 8 Games. We've talked about it before. The three of us have played it and enjoyed it. They had a great turnout at Adepticon this year. They had, I think, four... Might have been six sessions, six two-hour sessions that were completely sold out to celebrate the launch of their newest faction called the Ramaks, which are like these sentient beings that were found in the noise of the Ethereum that kind of existed before man even got there, which was super cool. It was a open format. It was it wasn't open format, rather. It was open to new and experienced players. So they had a little bit of an introduction to the game thing at the beginning of the of the gameplay. I played with another guy who had played before, so we were able to get right into it. I played Rezex. He played the Romux. I won. It was a really great scenario. They had they had created just four um, Adepticon. It was it was a lot of fun. Everybody really enjoyed the game, and I wound up picking up uh, two new miniatures for my uh, Resex Warband, which is pretty cool. Very nice. I, What'd you get? I got um, Hotaru, which is like this guy who's holding a lantern above his head and doing like a like a karate move kind of thing. And I got Aurelia Kingsley, which is one of the which is the daughter of the people that developed Resex to go out into the Ethereum and explore brave new worlds. So she's like the uh, the female. HQ slot, if you will, for the ResX. She was really cool looking model. Hey, we we really got to get that game on the table. Absolutely, man. Yeah. It, is, it is so good. I, I so enjoyed playing it. It's just it's just really really good. Oh, I was going to ask you to pick up an army for me, or a box, or a faction rather. You know, I I was planning on reaching out to all of y'all if you needed stuff, and I know Lavelle had asked me to get him an Infinity book that was just launched. But let me talk about the swag bag for a second, okay? Last year at Adepticon, if you purchased the premium entry pass or whatever, you got... And I saw people walking around with it. I didn't do this. I just bought the regular weekend pass, right? But they gave everybody, like... I mean, it was it was a massive amount of stuff. You got... Uh, it's this new boxed game. It looks like uh, Warhammer Fantasy. I forget the name of it. But it's this massive boxed game. Like, picture, like, a huge board game box. You gave, you, they gave you that last year. So I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll register for that this year. You know, I'll get some new stuff. So I get there pick up my badge. He's like, oh, you got the premium package? I'm like, yeah. All right, you got to go down to the next table to get your stuff. I said, all right. So, the, you know, I go down to the next table. There's a volunteer sitting there. And he's like, all right, do you like Star Wars? I say, no, I don't like Star Wars. He said, all right. He gives me this bag. And this is one of those bags with the backpack, uh, you know, like the, the cinch bag that you can throw over. It's like a backpack with a cinch top. You know what I mean? Right. It's like the printed thing. In that backpack full, was... Full of coal. He was like, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, like Star yeah. Wars? Here you Get go, out kid. Here. Get out of my face, kid. You gotta love Star Wars. <laughs> so in that bag was a Black Library calendar, the Robut Gieleman novel from the uh, Horace Heresy's uh, Primarchs series, uh, the hardcover of that, a Wild West Exodus book, a bolt-action rulebook, a Hordes Legion of Everblight... I don't know if that's War Machine or Hordes... Yes, Hordes. Hordes. Uh, the Hordes rulebook. These are the big hardcover, like the serious ones, right? Eight or ten 
little mini metal miniatures from games that are out or about to be released. Like just like like a huge handful of like these random metal miniatures. There was a piece of terrain in there. There was a, a foam miniature carrier thing that was probably eight by ten inches and like four inches deep that you could pluck the foam out of and put your stuff in, you know? Then they hand me the entire Guild Ball starter box. Which is what? which is huge. It's like a big, well, not huge, but it's 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 a big box for a board. It's like you know, it's like a miniatures board game, like a uh, what's it's like you, an eighty dollar box. Yeah, it's like a big box like, of yeah. stuff, right? Wait, so you said this is in a bag or in a crate or in a boat or on a like? Maybe what, it was maybe it was of, a Dungeons and Dragon bag of holding. It was definitely yeah. a bag of holding, man. I mean, I, I had a was this Operation Dumbo Drop or something. They like brought this thing down on a. It was just it was awesome. I had I had my little messenger bag with me, but I I like had my my arms full as I made my way up to take that class that I just mentioned, and then right, I get an email like at like one o'clock in the morning that night saying, you know, dear premium pack, premium pass member, uh, whatever participants, what have you. Be sure you come back to registration tomorrow because the rest of your stuff has arrived. I'm like, what? And what are they? I mean, I can't even carry all this stuff home. So then they, I go back to the table, and cool many or not, had given everybody the Dark Age starter box. Like the whole yeah. thing with those two armies in it, you know, and like the scenario and all the dice and the chips and all that stuff. The whole box. Path to Glory or Road to Glory, or uh, I think it's called. Path to glory. Path to glory. Yeah. So, how, how did you get this all home? Did you ship it? No, I had to. This is what I did. I went with with a, with a buddy of mine who had room in his suitcase, so I had to basically fill the remainder of his suitcase. I filled my suitcase. I had my message, <laughs> and I left all my clothes. I, you, <laughs> <laughs> there, there were some t-shirts and underwear Sir, left we in the trash. Do not allow naked people on a plane. There was there was some there, there were some undies and t-shirts left in the trash. I'm not ashamed of it because my fear was right. So I, I wound up having to come home with three bags. I went with my carry-on, my little rolly bag, and that was it. I had to come back now with this backpack thing that they give you, full of stuff. My rolly bag, which is now full of stuff, and the messenger bag which is full of stuff so i was afraid they were gonna like say you know sir you have too much stuff you can't you got to pay for the one bag or whatever and then that bag would get lost of course because i have terrible luck with airlines so what wound up happening was i get to the gate and then they ask if anybody voluntarily wants to check their roller bag because the flight was full so i said heck yeah take that bag i went on with the two other bags of all the stuff i got and picked it up in the carousel when we landed in philly last night and then the plot thickens right so of course there's this expo area, just like any other, you know, proper con, you can go and buy stuff. So I'm walking around, I picked up two um, Bushido minis, I picked up those two characters for Ethereum. I bought a pint of bases, of MDF bases. There was a big booth there with these bins, and you could pick up, it was, they were Chinese food containers, either a pint or a quart. And they I had... That vendor. Yeah, I, this is the first time I had seen it, Lavelle. I, I didn't know this existed. I thought it was wonderful. So I, I, needed, I needed bases because I wanted to do custom Infinity bases, and I wanted to redo the bases for all the Dark Age stuff that I have. So I was like, this is, this is great. I actually had a little shopping list that I had made the day before I left of the bases, how many bases and what sizes I needed. So I was there with my phone with my little Excel spreadsheet screenshot that I took the day before. I was like, oh, great. So I'm filling up my little court, or pint. I'm filling up my pint of, of bases, and then they tape the thing shut, and it's 15 bucks. It's probably two pounds worth of bases. Because I, I got everything I needed, which was like probably 30 bases, and that just filled like the first inch of the bottom of this Chinese food container. And then I walked around, and I was like, well, heck, you never know when you're going to need more 32 mil bases. So I was just, you know, just filling the darn thing up for 15 bucks. It was great. I, I had planned on getting some stuff at uh, Forge World. I wanted to get the first... Um, 
Horace Heresy book, uh, the big one, you know, the black one with the, the gold leaf and all that stuff. But at that point, I knew that I couldn't, I just had no more room in my suitcase. I just couldn't physically take anything back unless I wanted to go to Staples and get a box and mail it. But I just didn't really. Guys, I'm going to share with you Lavelle Harmon's trick for buying more crap than you ever need when you're away on a convention. I need a trick. Trademark. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark. So I like flying airlines that allow me to luggage. I, that's what I like. Um, Southwest usually does that. And sometimes it's worth it to pay for the two luggages, the two extra luggage. What I do is I take a large and a medium suitcase. I pack the medium suitcase with my clothes and then place it inside of a large suitcase. Whoa. And then I travel. And then all the way back, I'm checking my weight, but I'm filling in the, the, the place. That is my trick right there. Great idea. Putting one piece in front of the other to make it cheap to get there. But then coming, right. coming back, you acknowledge the fact that you're going to make the investment right. to bring and, it all you home. Know, I, usually also tra- I usually travel with my backpack. And so one of the things that I do, if I'm buying a book, I'm going to put that in the backpack. And I'm going to walk on the plane with the backpack. This is a wonderful idea. I'm doing this next year. That's a great idea. Right. So you get you, know, you travel and you pay for one bag. But even if you pay the $25, $35 extra for the bag. For the the bag coming back, it's worth it rather than shipping. The only thing you got to be cautious of is, you know, some of these box games, some of these starter sets, there's more in there than plastic. For example, Ethereum, that had so much in there what that was really heavy. That would be heavy. The other thing that I did at Gen Con, I recognized those vendors that are, were going to also be at the Nova. Oh, and since I'm driving to the Nova... Cool mini or not, they're, they're, they're really big. And I'm, I'm not asking, are you going to have it to Nova? And he's a great guy. He says, you know what? I wasn't bringing this to the Nova. If you're going, I'll make sure I bring one for you. Great. Yeah. 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 So, you know, when you have a local con, you, I, I try to make sure, hey, wait a minute. I don't need to buy this from you. I know you. You're going to be at the Nova. I'll catch you at the Nova. That's a great plan. I love the luggage idea, too. I'm going to try to do that next year. Let me just say this one other thing. Packs, when they had packs here. There were many vendors that didn't come to the Nova that I thought I would not see again. And I saw them all at PAX and I was a little bit irritated because, you know, I had bought stuff and paid and I had to make some really difficult, troubling calls that still wake me up. (laughs) Troubling. What are you going to buy? What are you not going to buy? This will never fit in the luggage. (laughs) The things that trouble our sleep. Right. It's just things we go through. Crazy. But just kind of remember that when you're driving to a convention versus when you're flying to a convention. I think that's a great idea. Um, Also, it just occurred to me in this this bag of goodies was this uh, 30th anniversary Primaris Space Marine Captain model that I have that I'll build and use for something. He's cool looking. And there was some uh, uh, Malifaux. There was a Malifaux model in there. It was really just it was a ton of stuff. I was very pleased with the amount of stuff. Make sure you post a picture of that captain. I will. Yeah, Make sure you post the picture. Yeah, I'll stand it all up tonight, and I'll take a photo and put it on our Facebook. Yeah, it was intense. The um, the four. I, I have a note here that the Forge World booth. I don't know why this was. The Forge World booth was not as jumping as it was last year. Last year there was a line several booths long to get into Forge World's little area and buy stuff. But this year I did not see a line, which I thought was interesting. They had a big section of books. I can, they had, I can explain it. Yeah, what's up with that? I can explain it. You know, a while ago Forge World was unique. 
And so it was, and it was difficult to get. You could only get it shipped to you from overseas. But now, a couple of things that you'll notice: Forge World is now out more at various conventions, not just the the GW-based conventions. That's one. And many other vendors, although I don't know how they do it, they are carrying the Forge World stuff at Forge World prices. So you know, it's not so hard. At the Nova, I was disappointed because they had a lot of stuff. But not they, they they had they just their 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 product line was not wide. It was just deep. They had a lot of these and a lot of these and a, and you know if you weren't looking for a specific model that they happened to have right then, you were not in luck. They they had a lot of um, it looked like Necromunda and um, Blood Bowl stuff, like right out front, like that's what they were pushing. It looked like and the books they had a lot of books, a lot of novels. I think people really would rather have the larger tanks, the larger vehicles, and the, the rule books. It, it's, it's difficult to get other places. So how do you feel about the Primark models? Because they're really cool, but I feel like they're so, you know, it's a it's a 32-millimeter miniature or whatever it is, right? And it's 100-something dollars, right? So, like, how do you justify spending that on one mini? On my shopping list, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm going to build... Um Eventually, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I want to play uh, Emperor's Children for 30k. So I was thinking I would go there and buy Eidolon, and I would buy Fulgrim. Wait, 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 wait. You? Yes. Devout imperialist. Yes. This is going to happen. This is going to be my foray into the dark side as playing Emperor's Children. I do think I think the Primark. And this is when I leave the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that's, the last that's trio team is done. <laughs> that's it. I think the Primark models are awesome. I think they're really great. They're it's super expensive, but I don't know. I think they're great. They're amazing sculpts. Like there's no question about that. Like they're some of the most amazing models. Especially, I mean, they come with like elaborate scenery built around them, and like some of them, like Russ and Magnus, you can like put together for their battle scene or whatever. It's one mini. I, I I was this close, like, and my fingers are very close together right now <laughs> to buying Russ at Nova last year, and I was just like, Ugh. and then held off a little bit, but it might happen. I had, I felt the same way about similar situation. I had bought the new um, for AOS. They had released these malign portents special characters that you can add to your army for the malign portents kind of games. And I had bought the, uh, the shaman, this weird knob shaman guy. Who's like mushroom uh, enhanced. He's got like psychedelic mushrooms grown out of him. And he just takes the psychedelic mushrooms to have visions of death and destruction. It's a one sprue mini that comes in a box and it's like 30 bucks. I I bought it. And then I opened the box. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) They got me. They got me. They totally got me. What did I just do? What did I just do? <laughs> at least, at least, cut the sprue in half. Oh, I was, I wanted, like I wanted at least two yeah. sprues, but this is a tiny little mini on one sprue. I was like, oh man, they got me. Yeah, he said they got me. You know, <laughs> they know what they're doing. They know how to market to jackasses like me. That's the truth of it. <laughs> so this, let's circle back to a question we brought up earlier. So I'm looking in this bag of goodies, and there's miniatures from games I'd never heard of. There are signs everywhere and booths everywhere for new miniatures games that are about to come to Kickstarter. Check out our Kickstarter campaign. There is a glut of miniature gaming options out there right now. And the, the I, this is what I see is the problem, right? You get excited about a miniature game at a, at a con. You see a video you like on YouTube. You see a sculpt or a paint job you like, and you're like, okay, I'm going to get into that game. 
All these games require community. There is only so much community to go around, and only so much energy a community can put into picking up and starting to play a game. It's it's hard. So, are there too many games around? It seems like nowadays there's a mini game for everybody, which is good, but it's great that so many companies can be, be in a position to go into business and create these works of art and make them into games that we all can enjoy, but it's so hard to buy into all of them. And they look fantastic, like you're saying, but so, like, with Dark Age, for instance, right? We were so excited about that game when we when we came home with it two years ago. I think we had originally come home with some models, right? Or last year we came home with a bulk, but I, we did buy some, like, two years ago. But unfortunately, and we have Cool Mini or not in our local store, but they don't sell Dark Ages, they sell Wrath of Kings. And the, I don't think anybody actually plays Wrath of Kings there either. It's just kind of like, how do you justify um, investing in a new game when you know that it's you're going to have to do some some convincing to get people to play it with you? The thing is, how do you select the game that you're going to buy? And it's a big decision. I have a huge um, Wrath of Kings army, but I don't get to play it. But I love the game, and I have the models. Some games you have to keep expanding. 40K, you have to keep buying models. Other games, um, I have a Malifaux army, a Malifaux, I guess they call it gang, but I never get to play Malifaux. But if I, if I want to, I can. I know the game, I, et cetera, et cetera. So you got to make that decision. I always go by, and this could be a crazy rule, I got a rule of six. If I have six players that I can play with, it's worth investing in the game. If you don't have six players, you're going to end up buying a game, building the models, a miniature game, painting the miniatures, and then after three years, when you don't get to, you'll sell it at a discount on eBay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you like that, that's good. That's okay. You got some enjoyment out of building and painting and posing your little models in your room and moving them under different lights and going pew, pew, pew. It's fine. That's part of it. If you want to, right. If you want to play the game, I think you need at least six people to have a, a solid meta to, to get some enjoyment out of the game. Let me tell you what it's based on. It. I have me, my brother, um, and my two sons. That makes four of us. And there's some games that we play that nobody else plays. We don't have enough of a of a mix to really put any life into the game. That's how I came up with the number six. Carlo, how did you get, you had picked up, um, what's it called, Arena Rex, right? And you bought me the Warband, and we, you know, we, you, a couple of other folks got Warbands for that game too. What, what, what did it take to convince everybody to get into that game? You know what? Um, well, I believe I forced you into it, kind of. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> Grant's a pretty... Easygoing, happy guys, so you can pretty much convince them to play a mini game if they look cool, and they do look cool, those Arena Rex minis. And the guy that painted them, and he was at, uh, we, we, we uh, were introduced to that game. Fur had mentioned it to me while we were at PAX. Like, we were walking around at PAX. He's like, Look, check out this game. It's really cool. The minis are beautiful. Went over there, and the minis were amazing. And uh, Tim, Carlo, what's the name of that game again? Arena Rex. Okay, go ahead. Some of the coolest looking uh, minis I've seen. I picked up a box. Uh, Fur picked up a box. And then I picked up another box for you. And then Grant, I think, ordered some online when he found out we were going to play it. 
And that, I mean, that's a good thing to bring up because we have minis for that. I don't know. Have you built yours yet? I have built them, yes. Okay, have you painted them yet? They are built and primed. I'll say that much. Primed. Okay, so so I haven't even built mine yet. All right. And I, I'm the instigator. <laughs> Gotta build those jams, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and I have the the Playmobil thing that we bought for it, right? Ooh, yeah, I have it. The Playmobil it's Coliseum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so weird. So weird. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking at it right now. So yeah, weird. so, yeah, because it's like, you know, like explaining 40k to your family and your in-laws is like reasonable but then when you start showing up with like playmobile pieces it's like this is freaking weirdo no I'm, right. a, I'm a grown man i'm a, I'm a professional i'm a big i'm a big boy i promise <laughs> that game has small model counts yeah three 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 models to start, I think you can go to six. I think it's like the max, but like, yeah. The rules are very straightforward, very clean. It looks like a lot of fun. We just got to start playing the damn thing. Let's make a, you know what the problem is? I don't think we've picked, like, we have no goal. And I think like with 40K, it's easy to have a goal, like games like 40K at least, because there's, when you have a, a game that has a presence in your community and it's, you're reminded of its existence it's easier to get interested in going about the the, like including that game in your like one hour a night of hobby time or whatever right we're like this this game and you know a, a few other mini games that we've come across like we it's easy for us to to drop the ball on those because they're not uh, constantly flying around, you know, between our, our group of friends, right? They're not brought up at all. So I think we need to, we need to set a goal. We need to pick like, Hey, we're going to play arena Rex in, you know, two weeks on this day at this time, have your stuff ready, be there, be square. There's, um, there's a real a pod, another podcast. I really enjoy. They're out of England uh, called the Adeptus Terra podcast and they did a thing to get into 30k where they built an escalation league with uh, there's two guys three guys on the show and a bunch of their buddies who they play 40k with they started with like 500 points worth of 30k models and then i think it was every month they would add 500 points to that or 250 points to it so by the end of say six months they all had like 2,000 point or so ish army, armies that were painted and ready to play with because they agreed that they would start this kind of journey together to build and to escalate the you know the games around this kind of you know campaign they had created. I love that. I love the idea of escalation leagues. Um, I wish we could uh, like incorporate that some way in the next campaign we do. I want you to talk about the frontline gaming terrain set you built. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in other hobby news for me, um, I was uh, commissioned to build and paint a frontline gaming um, like imperial sector looking terrain set. So this client has bought the uh, like the big kit, which comes with the mat, and I think it's twelve uh, twelve pieces of terrain. Which is there's a, a building called a bastion. There's two of those. There's some container looking blocks there's some, some bunkers some barricades some barracks and then like uh there, yeah, there's like these command tower hq looking buildings and the the setup is interesting because they ship it in this um it's probably a 12 inch by 12 inch by 12 inch cube shaped cardboard box and it's all flat packed mdf still inside laser cut you know so it's still inside the mdf kind of sprues so you have to pop it all out before you glue it together the um Building it, you know, they give you a PDF on the website to build it. 
PDFs are relatively clear. Um, it's kind of fiddly because, say, you have a it's like a square shaped base, right? And there's a notch, like four notches, laser cut into that base, and then there are four walls that have a little piece to fill those notches that ostensibly you're supposed to hold up those four walls. But, you know, you put wood glue on it and you stand them into the little slots and they all kind of lean in different directions. So you got to kind of, it's kind of fiddly. Like you have to sit there for a minute and kind of hold it in place and then lift your hands up real gently and hope the walls don't collapse in on themselves and then put it back down and kind of realign them. So gluing them together is a little bit fiddly. It did take some time to, uh, to actually get them together. What's the name of the set? This is the Standard Field Base Set. The ITC Standard Field Base Set. As they're built, I haven't, you know, I haven't primed them yet, but I did build them, and the stuff looks really good. It's, you know, it's the kind of frontline terrain where you can take the the, the uh, roofs, the roofs, off of the buildings. So when your, you know, your tactical squad runs inside to take cover, you can actually take the top off the building and put your models inside of it. That's pretty nice. Which is really kind of cool. Um, and I got it. I asked the, I asked to have the mat too, so I could kind of paint, at least around, you know, some like to give it kind of a, a similar color tone to match the mat. So it's not like the buildings are blue and the mat is brown and it looks really weird, you know? So I'm trying to make it all kind of gel together so it looks like, okay, here's the mat, here's the terrain, it all looks really good together and play a great game. Do you think did... you would get one of those for yourself at some point? Like, if you were to purchase, what would be your next terrain purchase if you had to set up a gaming table in your basement? You know what? I would get more of the, um, kind of that Forge Worlds looking, or the, um, so like the Mechanicum-looking stuff that came out with uh, Shadow War Armageddon. I really like those kits with the walkways and like those the ferro furnace or ferro whatever reactor things and those galvatronic relay-looking jams and the f- plasma thing. And I like all that um, Adeptus Mechanicus-looking terrain, so I would, I would definitely like to get more of that. That stuff's pretty rad. Like the way you can link it up together and then you have like this hive-like mm-hmm. setup. Yeah, I like that look. What about you, Lavelle? You got a... You must have... Some pretty intense terrain at your place, I feel like. I feel like I don't need to answer that question. I feel like I'm being interrogated. <laughs> you know, I have enough I have enough terrain in my basement to at any time probably run three infinity games. And we have enough terrain to definitely run two, maybe three forty K games. So that was our that was our hobby progress segment. We're gonna take a quick break and come back. We have a lot of new GW stuff to talk about. We'll be back here in a minute. And welcome back. News from the front. I totally just made that title up. I hope you like it. Here's a new section of the show. Totally making this a new section right now. Season two, new section, improvisation time. A lot of new stuff. Pretty catchy. Pretty catchy, right? News from the front. Somebody else probably thought of that, and I'm stealing it. Sorry if it's true. A lot of new GW announcements last week. A little ooh and ah, and oh my goodness, and fans are, you know, cheering and booing, and, you know, the community's excited, the community's disappointment. It's really interesting. The big one... And I love the fact that this is so far in advance. Plastic Sisters of Battle. I know there are some 40k players who have been waiting for a long time for Plastic Sisters of Battle that have been lugging around metal models and suffering through not totally up-to-date rules for a while, it seems like. People are excited. I'd like to know what all the fuss is about. Let's get into that conversation in a second. But Plastic Sisters, I think, is good because it's going to appease a lot of longtime fans who were stoked about Plastic Sisters. Am I right? I think so. I think I see, I see a lot of love for sisters on 
online and the forums and stuff. And, you know, I think people, anytime we can reinvigorate, you know, anytime GW can reinvigorate an army that's been stale for so long, um, it's good for the community because we get that diversity. diversity. Yeah, yeah. Lavelle yeah, talks about diversity in the meta. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let me tell you why I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's great, and let me tell you why it's different. Because right now, if you are a new player and you want to play something, you, you, you want to try to get in with something that's not already played. And so often you'll see new players ask, well, what's played? And they're looking for something because they, they don't want to join on to everybody else. They want a new army. Um, and so the diversity of, of codexes and armies that they have coming out is really, really good. Let me tell you why Sisters is important. You you said Plastic Sisters. Plastic Sisters is great, but what's really important is the people who have been playing Sisters of Battle. And um, Justin, my son, got had an army, but then he quickly abandoned it because it didn't have it. It was not up to date, and so you can play it because you love that particular army, but it doesn't. It's hard for it to get into the mix. The index did change that a lot. And so now Sisters of Battles, when they had the index, they had updated models that they could play and they were they could fit in. But the I think what the, what made them put that out is there had been a lot of noise online about it and people were asking. And so they put it out so far in advance just to say to people, hey, be patient. We got you. We're getting to everybody. We're not going to cheat you and only get to you at 11th edition. We'll get to 11th edition. And so I think that gave hope not just for the people who play sisters, but people who play armies that, you know, they feel like not necessarily aren't in the mix. Somebody was asking me, um, well, are they going to do an Inquisition book? And I said, well, they didn't call me. (laughs) That's my opinion. But so people like that. But I think one of the things that is rumored that we're going to be seeing at the uh, the end of this year is actually a Crute Codex. So well, I think what GW is planning on doing is uh, is infusing the, the game with a lot more diversity. And so everybody that wants to play any type of army can really, really do that. I think we're going to be looking at new army types, things that we didn't think of. And I think what they're starting with is the armies that are already in play. And the sisters have been in play for some time. And so it's an opportunity for them to get their own codex, their own... Um, their own codex and their own models. And people are thinking, well, are we going to get new models? We're probably going to get new models. And people are all excited about that. That's why I think it's great. And it gives us, because I'm telling you, people right now are thinking, well, they're going to be done pretty soon because they're going at a pretty fast pace. But the way that they're doing is they're getting you to say, oh, wait, you know what? There, there is some future for this game beyond the army. You know, I think it's great. That's a really interesting point, Lavelle. And does that does the fact that they're bringing sisters up to date and back in plastic, right? Mentioning a whole new army like the Crute is really interesting. Is that because the opinion of the, the the opinion they have of Eighth Edition and the opinion the community has of Eighth Edition is that it's so good and so easily balanced that they can finally start to grow the number of armies in this way? Is Eighth Edition that good that it makes that possible? Do you think? Is that why? Personally, I think it's more. I don't think it's necessarily eighth edition. I think it's a change in the business mindset and the business uh, like thinking at GW. They, you know, we can sell models. We can sell any kind of models that we want. 
Let's make some stuff up. You know, because how surprised were we at the Adeptus Custodes? We're like, where did this come from? Right, and it's just a kind of a little step in the toe of, you know, all the different things that they can do. I'm on the site right now, and there's no way, no two ways about it. The number of books and armies that they put out just in the past year and a half is staggering compared to what they were doing before. If you think about it, Death Guard, Custodes, um, these are new armies. I'm, I'm, I'm going down the list right now. Did Thousand Sons have their own book? No. Death Guard, Custodes, Thousand Sons. These are a way for them to stretch the game, the hobby, and the business. Um, and ways that the uh, the previous management apparently didn't ever have thought about. Especially looking at the next item on the list, a new Imperial Knight model uh, or models to go with a new Knight's Codex. It speaks to the same kind of thing, right? They can make a more valid case for buying bigger and more expensive models because now there's a new book and new reason to have them and new background as to why they exist. And you can play your own army. You can play just an Imperial Knight army. It's kind of cool that they have smaller knights now, too. Because like, before, like you play an Imperial Knight list and you're playing like four or five knights, and that's it, right? So now they can kind of mix it up. They're going to have their own uh, diversity within that grouping, you know? I'm excited about new night models. Now, it was hard to tell from the photographs that I saw. Are they entirely new models, meaning that the actual framework, the interior structure of the night is different, or are these just new add-ons to make it bigger and brawnier of a night? Do you know what I mean? Is, or is this a whole new night chassis, this new big one? I forget what it's called, but the new big night. Is that going to be a whole new night, you think? In the normal GW line, are any of the night chassis that different? No, they're all the you same. Yeah, that's why you can, out of the Renegade kit, you can make any knight. Right. But it's the same chassis. And even some of the Forge World knights share a similar understructure. Is that the right word? You know what I mean? Like the similar uh, internal structure. Similar haunches. Yeah, similar similar bones. Similar bones but, is a good way to put it, yeah. But some of them are, are, are different. I, I can't remember the name of them. Like that Lancer knight, that Forge World Lancer knight, is a really thinner model. Yep, that's different. But the, uh, the Atropos is uh, basically an Imperial knight with a bigger kind of upper body kind of stuffed on the top of it. The Serastus is different, but but I'm, I'm curious. I'm hopeful that this new night model, the new big one, is like a whole new kit, because that would be awesome and would lead to all kinds of great kit-bashy stuff that you can do, and I, I'm stoked for it. I'm, I'm excited for that. So, I mean, I I think we, we are in for something that is... Um, I think our game... Our, our, our play of the 40K game right now, here in April 2018 is not going to be the same when we get to just December 2018. Because if you think about it, you know, Death Guard, they were they were kind of running the show. And, you know, everybody, they had a few Primarchs out there. And, you know, all of a sudden, Custodes, you're thinking, well, well now how are you going to beat them? And then everything is coming out. And every time something comes about, out, you say, how are you going to beat them? Talk to me about the Drukhari. Talk to me about the Harlequins, right? Did we start calling them Drukhari when we started calling the Eldar Eldari? I did? I don't know. Okay. I don't know about... Did you? I, Have I, you been I, calling them? No, I no. think I usually just call them Dark Eldar. I, I usually say Dark Eldar, but I, but now I have to get my mind around they're called Drukhari, which I prefer. I think that's a cooler, cooler thing to say because it sounds more exotic. You know, I haven't read much about the Harlequin book because I don't have any Harlequin models, so there we go with that one. But uh, <laughs> interested is only limited to what I'm going to buy. But uh, now nah, they look... I mean, I'm excited that they're all coming out so close together because i'm like if you play yanari or even if you play like kind of like an eldar soup it's kind of 
it's a little prohibitive to not have all three codexes out because then you're like, oh, okay, then I'm only going to play Craft World if that's the only codex that's out, right? But now that all three are going to be out around the same time, it's pretty encouraging for people to kind of mix and match with their Eldar forces, which is really cool. Um, GW dropped today a little hint of what we're going to see in the Jukari Codex. And uh, one of the things that they put out was something called the raiding party right Ooh, what's that so uh it's pretty cool so a raiding force um is if your battleforge army includes at least three drukari patrol detachments you receive plus four command points if your army includes six or more drukari patrol detachments you receive plus eight command points instead so it kind of encourages you to play a you know, a bunch of different detachments instead of like amassing all of your force in a one to three detachments, right? Which is pretty cool. Um, hold on, hold on. Let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. That pretty cool is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to be able to say I'm taking six patrols and getting eight command points means that you can have six, uh, let's see, 12 troops as small as they are and six HK. Cues. Yeah. I'm like, holy crap. And then the other thing is, this is going to, it's, I've read something else that says it's going to be interesting to see how tournament organizers respond. Because a lot of tournament organizers say no more than three detachments. Right. They're going to have to make an exception for Jukari. I, I wouldn't, uh, I don't think if I were, if I was a tor- tournament organizer, I don't think I'd feel right disallowing Jukari from using this because that's what they would be doing, right? I mean, this is specifically a rule uh, that GW put in place for the army to function around it if they choose to do so. And being a tor- if a if I were a tournament organizer, I would want them to be able to take full advantage of what the game allows them to do. I mean, there's the reason why we ha- have the three det- detachment max is to prevent kind of like. I guess like overkill spam lists, right? Because that's usually what happens with that. But if this is something that GW is play tested and they feel uh, is going to be a basis to how the army works, then they need to give it a chance at least. Um, and the other th- cool thing is that um, they have another uh, stratagem that they spend its one command point and. If your warlord is an archon, you can choose a homunculus and a succubus from your army and generate a warlord trait for each of those characters as well. So you can have three warlords. Wow. So if you have if you're playing a mix of like a lot of people will just play like a witch cult army or like a a cabal army or a, a homunculus army, but if you play all three in your army, then you get three warlords. Wait, uh, Car- Carlo, I don't think that's right. I think what you get is three warlord traits, but right, you, right. you still only have one warlord, which is still, I mean, powerful as heck. So three yeah. different models can have a warlord trait, but I think your the Archon still counts as your warlord for Slay the Warlord. At least that's how I read it. Right, it just says, note that these characters are only regarded as your warlord for the purposes of these warlord traits. So you are correct. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, so the Archon is still like the warlord for killing. For killing and getting points. <laughs> um, so I guess you couldn't, and with that respect, you can't like score, like you know how you generate that tactical objective that says if your warlord does this, it's worth extra points. I forget what it's called. But uh, 
they wouldn't be able to do that. Only your Archon could do that as well. You know, every time I played a Dark Eldar army, I always felt like I was going up against a glass hammer. And if he hit me first, I was pretty much toast. <laughs> but if I could if I could position myself right, I do think that all of this is going to be a game changer. Because I can tell you, if somebody comes to the table with 11 command points, three warlord traits, and I haven't even seen the relics and the stratagems, I already can tell you right here, right now, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to, yeah, this is going to, this, this is going to be an army to watch. Just imagine six Archons coming at you. <laughs> so can, That would be so, funny. Carlo, can you kind of break it, break it down for me a little bit? I know, like, there's the homunculus kind of, are they called, like, what are those differentiations between the different kinds of Drukhari called? Are they different sects or different gangs or what's the what's the deal? You know, I haven't been. I don't want to make myself to be like an expert on Drakari because I've only been playing the army for uh, less than a year now. So, and I really haven't had a chance to really dive into it that much because I've been going back and forth between Space Wolves and Drakari. But um, so the Cabals are like um, the main troop choice in that unit would be your Cabalite Warriors, right? So they're the uh, Bread and butter, the long range, poison shots. I mean, not long, but like 24 rapid fire. It's like what would take the place of like a space marine in your army. You know, they're your troop choice. Um, always wound on a four up unless it's a vehicle. So you're wounded on a six up, right? So they're something that you kind of need to have. What a lot of people have done with them over the years is they've played them in raiders and ravagers and stuff like that they need to be in a transport and venoms otherwise because they have a three up armor save or no they have a five up armor save and just get like easily shot to pieces by bolters and stuff like that so they need to be have some type of protection and same thing you have the cabals which are the cabalite warriors and uh archons go into that i think and then I'm um, trying to think. There's uh, the uh, witch cults, which in there you'll get ra- uh, reaver jet bikes, uh, witches, uh, succubus, you know, and then the third would be the homunculus. So you get like the, you know, the bigger models that they have, the Talos, and the Kronos, the big, like the, the homunculus are like the fleshy uh, experimental alchemist kind of, or like cult. Um, experimentation beasts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like the the crime of nature kind of a thing that exists in the Drukhari. So yeah, they like uh, take they take things apart and put them back together again in weird ways. Yeah, exactly. Like their skins all stretched out, like the racks and stuff like that. And normally, like so, like those units, um, like you can take like Cabal and Witch Cult stuff in Yonari, but you can't take Homunculus stuff. So that's stuff that's very specific to playing Drukhari. So um, then you have like Incubi and this like the GW website goes on to explain this. The Incubi and the Scourges can be taken like with any of the three. So Incubi are like the heavy, the melee fighters. They have like the big uh, two-handed swords that they run around with. And the Scourges are the guys that have the, they look like birds with um, like bird people that fly down with uh, guns and stuff like that. That you could take blasters with them and dark lances and stuff like that. Gotcha, yeah. They're like your elite choice but, that deep strikes. Let me just tell you something. What you got? What, we, what will be interesting? There was something that I didn't hear anybody talk about, 
but it appears. I have to see it in the actual codex. Originally in the Necron army, Immortal and Warriors were the two troop choices. Now it appears that Immortal, Warriors, Lich Guards, and Death Guard and Death Marks are troop choices. Wait, Lich Guard are troop choices? That's, it, it, from what I have in front of me, it appears that that is the case. I need to see the final codex. But here's the thing. They could be moving any of these things around. Because that, you know, you know, I didn't hear anybody say anything when they were talking about the codex, but I, I, I know I shouldn't, but I do have that leaked codex that was uh, put out on the web, on the interwebs. And I did take a look at it, and it, that's what I was saying. Is this right? Because Lich Guard and the troop choice is pretty significant. So, you know, we got any of these things could be moved up into the troop choice, which would be a, a game changer. Carlo, do you see yourself making another kind of investment in your uh, Drukhari army in light of what you've uh, read so far? You know, not sure. Before this codex dropped, I was thinking about actually getting rid of them. Um, just because I have so much on my plate right now with the Space Wolves. Um, I feel like I've kind of let... It's nice to have a second army, but I've let them... I let the Space Wolves fall to the wayside in the meantime, and I feel a little bit guilty about that. So I was either thinking about shelving them for a while or and like going back to the space rules, but with this codex drop, it seems pretty pretty interesting to be able to play all that. I guess I'll let you know in a couple weeks. Right on. Yeah, <laughs> right on. Also announced was the a new Death Watch codex. I like the idea of Death Watch. It's you know, it's a mix of of space marines from several different uh chapters. Uh, each has a very specific Xenos killing kind of knack, and their forces, you know, Death Watch are designed to be the the great Xenos killers on behalf of the Imperium. And each each kind of uh, disparate uh, chapter sends their you know one of their best and brightest at killing a specific type of Xenos creature to the Death Watch to aid in this effort. Um, I like that kind of backstory of all these different uh, guys coming together to lend their talents. I like the way that the models look because um, they each have one little kind of pop of their original Legion's color on them and an otherwise black and silver kind of paint job. Um, I think they're cool. I don't know anybody locally that plays them, but, I, but I've always liked seeing them around, and I think their story is interesting. Timothy, I have a Death Watch army. <sighs> Lavelle, you were like, an, like a many-splendored thing. <laughs> My name is Lavelle. I have too many. I have too many <laughs> armies. I have a problem. <laughs> I played the role-playing game, and I liked it so much. I got a Death Watch Terminator army, and I acquired pieces from my sons and built a unit of Death Watch, and it just escalated from there. So you were playing the Death Watch, you know, the, when Fantasy Flight was publishing the Death Watch RPG role-playing game. Yes. Cool. Was it good? It was good. It was um. You know, our problem was we had some role players who didn't know the, uh, the the genre, and we had role players who were 40K players who knew it, and they were like, you would never do that! And right. so, but it, it was a good game. Right, cool. It was a good game. I do have a Death Watch army, and I'm very, very excited about that. I intend us to uh, start expanding that army. I probably couldn't field anything more than a patrol, and I would usually uh, insert it into, like, a different Imperial army, but like you, I was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly impressed with the way the Death Watch operates. All of the role-playing book 
books gave you so much history and depth behind it. So, for example, you get seconded, your, your, your captain decides to second you to the Death Watch. When you go to the Death Watch, you learn and see things that you never, ever discuss again, and it's never discussed back. But what you bring back to your chapter is specific Xenos killing ability. That's right. I had it backwards, didn't I? You go to the Death Watch to pick up this Xenos killing ability. That's right. I had this whole story but, backwards. No, when, when you no, when you you're right that when you go there, you generally they generally see something in you. Like for example, this guy's really good at killing Tyranids, so he's really good at these things. Gotcha, gotcha. And and you they feel that by sending you to the chapter, by sending you to Death Watch, you raise the honor of the chapter and you bring skills back. But when you die the only thing they return, if they can, is your gene seed. And they don't, tell, they don't tell how you die. They don't tell anything like that. One of the things that I also like about it, at the Death Watch, at the Watch World, the main watch, they have a vault that opens up. They don't know where, they never say where it comes from. And when the vault opens up, they send a team down to run through the labyrinth to, to the door that opened up. And in there is something that they need. And they'll take it out, and they'll come back to the watch captain and say, hey, it was just this sword. It was just this book. Wow. All right, something's getting ready to come up that we'll need that for. Is that it was really, really good. Is that like Trays in the Infinite's little, like, side lab underneath no. the... No, Trays in the Infinite, you know, one of the things that's going to be really, really interesting is where he actually fits in. Yeah. So, for example, he appears crazy. Or does he have some sort of ability to see the future, and he's capturing these things so that they can use it later? Yeah, I wonder if I wonder how significantly Trazen's going to play into the new uh, Necron Codex, but we'll we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, the, I'm really excited about the Death the Death Watch Codex as well. What were the three codexes, codices, or whatever the plural is that they said were coming out next? Uh, Knights, Death Watch, and Harlequins. Anybody anybody here ever play against the Harlequins? I have. They're brutal. They are really brutal. Yeah, those those ships, those death arcs. What are they called? The uh, the boat looking things. Um, I forget what they're called now. I was just talking about the way they advance up the field. You can't really shoot them. You don't get to shoot Overwatch from them, and they yeah. just uh, yeah, it just flipping all the way around. And oh, my yeah, they're goodness. yeah, they're pretty badass. Yeah. Do they take uh, raiders with Harlequins or no? Um, I think they might be able to. It'll be interesting to see where they end up. I think the main thing is I think Harlequins might be able to step in and out of the webway. I like the fact that they have their own god, the laughing god, Shegarak, I think it's how you say it. I like the way that they're leading us on with these codex. Oh, these even before the last one has the, the middle one has dropped in this sequence, they're creating ex- excitement about the next three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another really important thing that they announced, something we've talked about the f- before, Software for list building, there is, was an announcement that 40K Combat Roster, which is based on Roll Call, which is an existing app, is coming out soon. It's going to be power level only first, but they're going to build uh, matched play points into it at some point. I'm not familiar with the Roll Call app. Have you guys used Roll Call? I have. Right. No. School me on it. I haven't used it either, so we're, we're in the dark about this one. I hope it's good. They did a very nice interview with the developer of Roll Call, who you know, was obviously humbled by the fact that GW wanted to pick up his product and develop it with him to make it uh, you know, bigger, better, and better. Um, 
I'm optimistic, but at the same time, I tried using that AOS list builder app called Azure, or Azure, Azure, I think it was called, which is $1.15 a month, and it is a tragedy in user interface design. I think I talked about it last, last episode, but the thing, <laughs> the thing is so bad. It is just so poorly done. I, I'm just, my fingers are crossed that the combat roster, when it's useful for matched play, is uh, is heads and shoulders above what they decided to do with that uh, that Azure Azure app. I'm hopeful. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I have a feeling I'll still just be using my Excel spreadsheets and doing the math myself. I have a sneaking suspicion. We tend to forget that Games Workshop is a miniatures company and not like a <laughs> app building company. <laughs> Back to their business model that's different. Before, they would have tried to do it themselves and not partner with somebody. Maybe that's a great sign. You're right. right. But now they're like, oh, well, somebody else is doing something good about it. All right, let's see what we can do to get him to do something for us. You're right. You're right. New AOS faction race, the Ideneth Deepkin. Have you seen the photographs of these? These are undersea elves for Age of Sigmar. I know we're not an Age of Sigmar podcast. I just started playing Age of Sigmar. We don't have to talk much about this, but... These are basically seafaring elves from under the ocean. I like what I see, by and large, except for this big turtle with, like, blades on his little flipper things. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and use an undersea phrase here. This is jumping the shark a little bit for me right here. I think this hey is... Oh! You know what I'm saying? I'm, I got I to gotta do that. I, I just don't... I, I, looked at, I looked at that model with these... It's got, like, the... You know, like, the... The harness on its back with these dudes standing on top here and this crazy-looking silver guy with no face. I'm thinking, those guys look awesome. And then I sort of busted out laughing when I see this big, like, Finding Nemo reject with blades on his flippers. <laughs> I just can't I just can't get my mind around it. <laughs> Why would they do that? What, what would make them do that? I'm, I'm, I mean, is it... Some of these models are awesome. There's, like, this Nosferatu guy with he's like... Definitely looks like right out of Nosferatu, the movie, pointing his finger out. He's probably some HQ thing. There's this great-looking... This is an awesome model. The guy leaping out of the water, suspended by the wave. Have you seen that one on the Warhammer community site? It's beautiful. He's, it's like this knight in shining armor with this big lance thing and this huge headpiece, and he's actually jumping. He's supported by a wave coming out he's of the sea. He's Aquaman. He looks, it looks like Aquaman. Yeah, yeah it, looks, <laughs> it looks pretty awesome, though. Somebody's going to paint the heck out of that model. That's a cool model. But the turtle thing just ruins it for me. I just can't, I just can't buy the turtle. I'm just... It, it, it pops I think it's because the way they painted it in this picture, it almost looks cartoony in comparison to the other guys on it. You know what I mean? But I think if you look at some of the other, like the one where they paint it green, it actually looks a little bit better. Like the thing about it that's hard to look at for me is the eye, whatever armor they have on where its eye is supposed to be, is too flashy. Like I think that right there kind of kill. It makes it look like um, you know when you paint flames on the side of your car. Yeah, it was cool in the '80s, but not anymore. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like it's like the Thunderbird hood of AOS. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like, <laughs> I don't know if these are rhinestones or like some sort of growth. If it's what if it's supposed to be like some sort of like um like bacteria growing on them or something, but it looks like rhinestones. Yeah, I see that now too. Yeah, I, that. That I don't like. Hmm. Listen, you guys are just mad because y'all can't bling out your turtle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I tried to, but it fit me. So, when you get uh, your turtle that you're riding, then you talk about blinging it out. I don't know. More power to him. We'll, we'll see where this lands, but I, I just wanted to talk about that. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. I, I guess I'm trying to figure out 
you know, here's the problem with making a sea-based race. And the games, like, like how, how are you going to fight them? You know, what, they're going to come on land and fight my army? And if they come yeah. on land, we'll just back up until they dry out. <laughs> or, or we're gonna have to start installing fish tanks in all the gaming stores, right? Like five hundred gallon fish tanks, and like, uh, how are you gonna buy scenery? Well, I guess you can go to the pet store. Right? Pet store scenery. Or the yeah. the upside could be that there's a new um, some terrain. Maybe there's one with like a body of water in it now, which would be kind of cool. But listen though, only <laughs> you are in the water. I can't take my, my I can't take my lizard men into the water. Yes, I have an Age of Sigmar, a very, very huge army that used to be my lizard men, and now I'm a Seraphine. Huge. But, Wait, li- lizards don't like water? I thought they love water. They, no, but they, I mean, I'm. <laughs> what, they have no amphibious abilities. You got the wrong lizards. Nobody wants to fight Aquaman in the water. Everybody knows that. All right, that's great stuff. A lot of good stuff coming up from GW. That's a good look at what could be coming out in the next year. Which I think, to Lavelle's point, it could be really exciting, the changes in the game between now and like the end of 2018 and December. But that's uh, something to look forward to. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome, Scouts. New players in the game. Carlo had a great idea for something to talk about for the newer members of our 40k community carlo hit me so i think the most intimidating thing about getting into 40k is uh built amassing a large army to play so and i know we were talking about the skirmish games earlier in the show and i think that would be a good way to get into a game and get a force fully painted quickly and to be proud of something is like so you're working on so you get in that game and you're working on some space marines or whatever you're paying those up for your 40k but you want to get in and have uh, experience the full experience of a Games Workshop game, you can get in a Necromunda or you can get in a Shadow War and get right into it and paint 10 models real quick and uh, be fully invested. I think to recommend a new player to go into that, and the rules are pretty simple in those games when starting out, that would be a good place to start. I have something that I want to add for the Scout section as well. <clears throat> And I want to encourage people, if you want to get into the game, uh, I want to give you something to think about. So if you think you're interested in the army, go ahead and buy the codex. And I always recommend that you buy the cards as well. But go ahead and buy the codex, read the codex, and then here's the new piece. Borrow an army. And most most places you go, you're going to find players with multiple armies. Um, And some of them like people on this podcast, we won't mention like me, have armies that they're not even playing. So when you are at your local gaming store, when you're in your local community, ask who might have an extra army that they wouldn't mind playing. In our meta, there's a guy who was interested in Necrons, and he wanted me, he wanted to play it. So I actually built him a 2,000-point list of armies. And every Thursday night when we were getting together, I was just packing two 2,000-point armies because I have more than 4,000 points of armies. And I was showing them the pieces, and he got to learn. And after a while, he was emailing me saying, I want to try this unit. Do you have this unit that you're not using? And I was able to help him put the armies together. And he slow built his his Necron force, which is coming along nicely. But I want to tell you that there are enough players that, you know, you get with a good community. There are enough players who are willing to let you play with the army. And so I would recommend that you not wait, not necessarily wait until you purchase everything, built everything. Play the game. 
I do believe in the hobby aspect of it, but play the game. Playing the game is important. I think that's those are both great points. Yeah, getting into the game through Necromunda or getting into the game through buying the Codex and uh, borrowing somebody's force. I think those are awesome ways to get new folks into the to in in the door at our local gaming store. For our cool. new players, uh, no, for our new for our new players, I also want to go over a rule. Every time we get our do our podcast, we talk about one or two rules that we see people struggling with. That's very important. So I just want to point out the difference between fly and flyers. So fly is an ability that will be on a unit. A flyer is a specific type of unit. I've been playing in a couple of games and there's been some confusion about those two things, the keyword fly and what is actually a flyer. Make sure as you're playing, you understand that because each one of those things, the fly keyword and a flyer have a different set of rules that kind of go with them. For example, if you have the fly keyword, you can move out of close combat and still shoot. Although usually you can't charge, but you can still move out of close combat and still shoot. Understanding that nuance right there can make a big difference when you think your opponent is your um, particular assault a unit and you think they're locked down, but you didn't pay attention to the fact that they have the fly key and then they fly out and gun you down. So make sure you understand the difference between fly and flyer. Now for flyers, make sure you understand the flyer that you're playing with and the flyer that your opponent is playing with. Most flyers have hard to hit and that impacts your to hit roll. And some flyers also have the ability to go into mode which changes the game a little bit too. So make sure you understand the difference between fly and flyer. And when you're playing with flyers, make sure you understand all of the rules that go with your flyer as well as your opponent's flyers. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we will wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us for what was a really fun episode 13 of Crew Shaken. We talked about some really great new stuff coming out from GW. We talked about a lot of hobby progress. We talked about Adepticon 2018. As you know from listening to the podcast, we are big fans of going to cons, going to big events where our community comes together to learn and to play and just to hang out and spend some time together. It was awesome. It was great to see so many friendly faces. I saw Dan Boyd from the 40K Badcast. Go listen to that show. It's great. He and Campbell do a great weekly podcast. I saw my friend Greg from Feed Your Nerd. Greg was there to play this year. He's usually there to hobby, but he was there to play, which is awesome. What's up, Greg? Go check out FeedYourNerd.com. whole bunch of great folks. It was good to see the community come together. For Crew Shaken, I've been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carlo. We'll see you on the tabletop.